desert storm, by blue sunshine, read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Chapter 2 Godzilla shrieks when she spies her waylaid slave and snaps the whip in her hand, but does not actually strike the slave, likely because Shmi wisely stopped just outside of its reach until her mistress finished berating her and put Shmi to work misting her fat body. Gardella then eyes Ben up and down, his face and beard almost indistinguishably the same shade of dust ochre, her bulbous throat bobbing. She smiles widely, only slightly less grotesque than Jabba, or at least less slimy. Jabba's spice addiction had a rather unpleasant effect on his mucus glands, a condition from which Gardella did not suffer. Chut-chut, then returns her greeting, feeling recklessly like he was speeding towards a spectacular crash with no intention of stopping. Dobra choba bedwana chica, Ben says feeling as if he's misplaced the grammar a bit. I am offered to buy woman. Gadoa's brow rises, gesturing to Shmi. You want this slave? Ben nods. Witiba, he adds, gesturing to both Shmi and her son. Together. Gadoa makes a wet, gurgling laugh. She chortles. How much are you willing to pay, foolish outsider? Ben clears his throat. Greatest Gardella, I would never insult your eminence by attempting to make an offer. After all, how could I, a foolish outsider, even contemplate to know their worth to you? I only wish to ask if you would even consider parting with them. She laughs again, far more boldly, her foul breath wafting over his face even at several paces apart. You have manners, outsider. They please me. She blinks, fat fingers tapping as she considers him. This one is proving less useful. With that squalling, unworkable brat, but what could you offer me? Ben panics just for a breath, as Shmi's eyes flash towards him and away again, full of trepidation. If Ben is... is in the past or some version of it, then he has nothing in this world but what he carried through the storm. And circuit boards and dusty ration packs are not going to please Gardoa the Hunt. I have a rare item of value, Ben says slowly. A Kaiba crystal. Kaiba? Gardella leans in, intrigued, bulbous eyes glittering. Only the Jedi have Kaiba. I acquired the crystal from a dead Jedi's lightsaber, Ben claims, forcing himself to grin. Though his heart quivers at the lie. Half-lie. Gondola pins him with her stare, very still as she considers this, 
Then she smiles, a hut's wide, unpleasant smile. I will consider it a good wager, she finally booms, licking her lips with a thick tongue. You may have them, if you win, Gondola says. Fetch me my cards. Tell me, Outmian, are you fond of Sabak? Ben has played high-stakes Sabak before, but playing against one of the most powerful huts in the galaxy, a Tordarian, both of whom cannot be influenced by the Force, a Tradition pirate, and a weak-way smuggler is proving to be one of the most elaborate and desperate schemes he has ever concocted. Half of his opponents hail from species whose physiology makes them incredibly difficult to read, half of them are vacant to his senses in the Force, one of them is a cannibal, and all of them are slavers. Not only is it a game of psychology, but in this particular instance, it is also a game of whom is the better cheater. And the stakes are damning. The weak way folds and bows out when the stakes grow beyond what he can afford, cutting his losses. The tradition is discovered to have bet with someone else's property and gets violently removed. Ben's hands are starting to shake, but he doesn't dare drink the wine he's been offered because the withdrawal is better than the loss of wit. It all falls in a single hand. Gondola loses to the Toydarian. The Toydarian loses to Ben. Gondola's angered holler rattles the roof off their little gambling den, but it doesn't devolve into violence as it might have at Jabba's. Jabba was a sore loser and a sore winner. Gondola was more proud than that. Ben has won not only Shmi and Anakin, but his own kyber crystal back, the probably sabotaged ship that the Toydarian had entered, an ungodly amount of spice that was the weakway smugglers, and a reluctantly delivered stack of Chomar credits that the tradition parted with in order to avoid paying his own hide for his false entry. To ensure the safety of his own skin, Ben did not agree to another game, but did jovially pay for everyone next round of drinks, and then grinningly sold the spice back to the smuggler because he had no honest idea of what he could possibly do with it. Gardella's majordomo brings Ben the controllers for Shmi and Anakin's detonators, and he gives a most gratuitous farewell to the hut before absconding with them. Ben really, really wants a drink. He acquires one, gulping it down gracelessly and letting the burn soothe his shattered nerves before he leads a very quiet Shmi Skywalker towards the parking number they've been given for his new ship. It had two sleeping berths, a fresher, an almost non-existent kitchenette, and what Ben will politely call a smuggler's hold. The Tordarian makes back most of his losses when Ben pays him for all the missing and damaged components. Funny how the replacement parts look like an exact match to the original ship. Shmi and Attican watch him pace, mostly, huddled together on one of the sleeping berths while Ben oversaw the repairs, wanting them done as quickly as possible. Ben takes note of how she quietly soothes her son, and directs him around the knobs and buttons in the cockpit when his restlessness can't be contained. When the Toydarian finally leaves, raking Ben for as many Chomar as he can, Ben all but falls into the berth across from them, and lets out one of the most exhausting sighs of his life. Master? Shmi implores quietly, and Ben groans, flopping back up, to find her kneeling across from him, head bowed, hands quietly folded in her lap, 
and he takes a moment to choke on the title she has given him, because it isn't... it isn't Master Jedi, it's... it's slaver, it's tormentor, it's owner. By the Sith, he remembered the way Anakin spat the title when he was angry, turning a helm of respect into the worst sort of insult. Ah, no, Ben rasps. I'm not... Sorry, let me just... Ben rummages for the remote detonators he's been given, reluctantly picking them back up to examine them. Ah. He scowls at the devices, punching in the command codes he's been given and cautiously disabling the settings. There. Deactivated, I think. He hands them to her, and her eyes widen before she snatches them from his hands and presses them against her stomach. Slowly she gets back to her feet and sits back down on the edge of her berth before daring to take her eyes off him and examine the devices herself. My name is... Ben, he manages, a whisper in the back of his thoughts telling him that Obi-Wan Kenobi is out there, young and not yet who he will be. His name belongs to that child now, and he... he shakes his head. He'll figure it out. I am Shmi Skywalker, and my son is Anakin, she says softly, still inspecting the devices while Anakin clings to her arm. You knew us. It isn't a question. I... How does he explain any of it? He does not want to lie to Shmi, and yet the truth, the truth is horrible and impossible. Shmi sets the devices aside, tucking them safely behind her where he cannot get to them, and pins him with sharp brown eyes. Her eyes are dark and deep, but it's oddly difficult to focus on her face, as if it blurs when he looks at her too closely. He looks away, and in his peripheral he can see a younger woman with her son's snub nose and delicate chin. Her cheekbones are bolder than his, and her coloring is darker. When Ben looks directly at her, he sees someone older, someone whose features are blunt and unremarkable. His gaze wants to slide away. It's perhaps the most powerful and complex hide-me force projection he's ever witnessed. Jedi learned the basics of shielding like that as early as the crash, when it is a game they play in the gardens. Jedi shadows, it is rumored, can make themselves near invisible with their mastery of the technique. The woman in front of him has never had a single day of formal training in her life. Have you ever heard of the Jedi? Ben asks, just as quiet as she. Slaves, he had learned, spoke very softly. They do not come to Tatooine, Shmi remarks. I have heard of them. Ben's expression twists into a wry, pinched grin. Yes, well, we end up here, it seems, whether we intend to or not. You're a Jedi, Shmi comments and then hesitates, wringing her hands. You knew my Annie. He's like you. As are you, Lady Skywalker, Ben offers. I cannot do what Anakin does.
she says, looking nervous. She pulls the little boy into her lap and smooths her palms over his hair. He looks up at her, tongue sticking out. She smiles for him, but her gaze tracks back to Ben's. I don't think that is for a lack of ability, Lady Shmi, Ben says carefully. Have you ever tried? Her pallor turns sickly and she shakes her head in denial, wrapping her arms protectively around her son. He cannot imagine the horrors that haunt her, the fears. You are safe, Shmi, Ben assures her, being careful not to move towards her. You are safe, and Anakin is safe. I won't let anyone hurt you. She clings to her son, watching Ben warily. We are free, she asks. You are, Ben nods. We can arrange to get the detonators properly removed at the nearest medical facility as soon as you wish. Not on Tatooine, Shmi says quickly, a shadow of anger crossing her eyes. Ben agrees wholeheartedly though he doubts he could even begin to guess at the dark underbelly of these seedy medical facilities he's encountered here. The only decent healers he'd ever found on this hellhole were the midwives and the traveling surgeon that Baru put up whenever he passed through, and whose name no one ever bothered to share. Given that the man carried an illegal scanner and did his work in hidden rooms under unassuming places, Ben never pressed. It can be done at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, if you wish. Or I can find a suitable facility along the nearest hyperlanes, Ben assures her. She stares at him, neither agreeing nor disagreeing. Can we be alone? she asks, still hunched over, curled protectively around her little boy who takes the treatment with a solemn compliance no child that young should have. I'll go see about acquiring fuel, Ben assents calmly. I'll be a while. There's water in the canteens, and I left ration packs on the counter which you are free to take. It's not my place to make your choices for you, but if you would accompany me to market this evening, we can get you what you and Anakin need to be comfortable. Shmi stares at him still and nods mutely. Ben leaves, hearing the first sob crack before he's made it to the loading ramp. A mother rocking her son in a shattering relief. Acquiring enough fuel to get the ship to Coruscant, plus enough reserves to account for any emergency delays or detours, leaves Ben's reserve of Chomar much, much more modest than it had seemed when he won it at the Sabak table. He takes a long walk around the market afterwards and pauses by one hole-in-the-wall grill to listen to the races with several very excitable companions. When it begins to near first sunset, and the market readies itself for the evening surge as the heat starts to give way, Ben heads back towards the ship, whose title, he discovers, was Red Kettle, hopefully due to the scuffed red paint job and not an issue with the heating systems. When Ben returns, Anakin is sitting on the one square foot of counter that exists in their almost kitchenette, attempting to shove half a bun of rehydrated bread in his mouth, and Shmi appears to be investigating the cupboards. Both of them have damp hair and freshly scrubbed skin, having made use of the fresher, and both of them freeze when he calls out a greeting in an attempt not to startle them. Sorry, Ben says. Is everything 
then trails off as he gets a look at the dead, slightly desiccated juvenile womp rat Shmi has just pulled from the cooler unit. Ah, he sighs. Well, I've acquired the fuel we'll need, and the first sun is just setting, he says pleasantly. We'll need more rations, Shmi says, knuckles white and eyes refusing to look at him. And a spare water filter. She hesitates to ask for more, and Ben relieves her of the clearly trying effort. I'll trust your judgment. I'm merely there to ensure nothing unpleasant occurs, he says, stepping forward to hand her the credits pouch. Shmi turns to take it, stops, turns back to throw the dead womp rat down the disposal unit, and then turns to him and cautiously lifts it from his hands. He ignores that hers shake and smiles at Anakin instead, whose cheeks are puffed up with the bread he's valiantly trying to chew. Shmi takes a few more minutes to inspect what surprises remain in their kitchenette, and then scoops Anakin up. She still wearing the collared garment marked with Cardella's emblem, as it is the only thing she has, but Ben's presence stops any leers from becoming more than that. They rent a hovercart to carry their purchases, and Shmi acquires what the ship needs with the deft acuity of a lifelong haggler. Anakin occasionally adding his opinion on the negotiations, which was unfairly adorable. At least until the toddler started cussing. Chuchasalemo! The child shrieked angrily at the paunchy twilight who has spat at Shmi. Ben balked in surprise and then stepped between the Skywalkers and the unpleasant scrapmonger. I'd rather think they're done dealing with you, Ben says, voice aged with warning. The Twi'lek eyes him up and down and backs off with a grumble. Shmi's face is utterly blank as they move to the next peddler. Shmi takes longer among the food vendors, quietly whispering to Anakin as she picks over their choices, describing to him what was good and what was not, and engaging him in a playful debate about ration packs versus fresh food, of which Anakin was of the opinion that they needed fruit and only fruit and all the fruit. Anakin, Ben discovered, as Shmi repeated things softly and slowly, was far more familiar with Hatties than Basic, although he also blurted out a few choice phrases in Rill. For a three-year-old, it was quite impressive. Ben discreetly acquired a small bag of candied pallies and desert plums, an act which did not escape Shmi's notice at all, if the flat look she gave him was any indication. Ben just smiled innocently and dropped them inside the battered tea kettle he'd bargained for. The freed woman was far more hesitant to spend their credits on the things she and Anakin needed personally, and Ben's attempt at making casual suggestions was met with as much if not more haggling between the pair of them than between Shmi and the vendors. Shmi won on principle, of course, acquiring only the simplest, cheapest clothes but conceded to allow Ben to convince her to obtain good-quality shawls and cloaks for herself and Anakin on the merit that space travel was far colder than the pair were used to. One decision, and the only decision Ben made on her behalf, was the acquisition of a small blaster with stun charges and a vibroblade with a wrist sheath. Shmi's composure faltered for a moment, overcome with panic, before she pushed it down and nodded without looking at him as he set them among their other purchases. He'd show her how to use them, their first night in spaceflight, after Anakin was asleep. <laughs>